Hello, and welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast, a show that will help you navigate the eco world and live a more colorful and conscious life. We'll inform, inspire, and embolden you. And most importantly, we'll have fun along the way to a more planet-caring lifestyle together. Nurdles are actually small plastic pellets, and these are the basis for everything plastics. The biggest impact is really to wildlife. There's all different kinds of things can, people can do immediately after they put their data into this reporting system. Anyone can do this. You don't need a special kit or special equipment. Just go out with, you know, your hands. You don't even need anything more than that. Welcome back to Mother Daughter Earthcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, thank you so much. You're in for a good one today. And for those of you who have joined us before, thanks for coming back. This is Mariana Archibald. And I'm Jenna Woods. And that's my mom, by the way. <laughs> Otherwise known as mother. Otherwise known as mother in the mother-daughter duo. Today, we are honestly just going to go straight to chatting about how excited we are about our interview with Jace Tunnel. He is amazing and has sparked such an interest in plastic pellets, otherwise known <laughs> as nurdles. <laughs> and we're just like ready to go out and scour the Trinity River here in Dallas and see how many we can find. He he just, oh, he made nurdles come to light. He sure did. I've all, I, I, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I want to go. There's this hike that I really like uh, along one of the nearby lakes. And I was thinking, oh, I want to go on that hike and I want to see if they have any nurdles there. I hope they don't, but I want to go look for some. <laughs> yeah, we hope they don't. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was, oh, I'm just thinking of all the places I want to go look for nurdles now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, and which, again, we don't want to find them. No, but we want to look for them. And if you don't, if you're not sure what a nurdle is, then I'm not going to spoil it for you. Just keep listening and Jace will tell you all about it. But he's such an amazing human and he is it just an awesome scientists doing some amazing work down in the Gulf, Co Gulf um, Coast area of Texas in the Port Aransas, Corpus Christi area, and has really dedicated himself and his career to marine conservation and advocacy. And he's changing legislation and creating awareness and spreading the education and love of nurdle cleanup. And he's, oh, he's just amazing. And this is why we love our podcast. <laughs> we yes. hope you love it too, but we love it. Most definitely. <laughs> it lets us talk to some awesome people. So this is this episode was definitely no exception to that rule. He he's just amazing and is so passionate and anyone with that much passion, you just can't help but fall in line and go look for nurdles. I know. Let's help rid the world of more plastic. <laughs> That's it. Well, before we skip on to our interview with Jace. If um, you have been listening to the podcast and you like what we're sharing, please, please, please give us a uh, rating and review. It really helps us as we continue to grow um, our our podcast. And if you are a listener and if you like what we're doing on Instagram and if you just want to support us, then head over to Patreon. We have a really fun community there and we're putting extra bonus material on there all the time. And I'm actually just, I'm actually going to be releasing a, a one of mom's classes here in the next few days possibly she's hmm. she's been doing a lot of 
a lot of plant classes mm-hmm. and anyways a lot of fun stuff going on there on going on on patreon but just a great way for um, our listeners to support us so thank you thank you for everyone who is on there and helping this happen but anyways i think we're ready to talk to jace let's do it he's awesome and we can't wait to share the nerdle love with y'all so with no further ado welcome jace tunnel to mother daughter Earthcast. Jace, welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast. We're so happy and excited to have you here. We, as I mentioned to you, um, heard about all of your amazing work with Nerdles through one of the news articles that Grant Brown from Happy Eco News highlighted. So I love getting to know what awesome people in our community are doing. And so thanks for agreeing to being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) (laughs) We're excited. So for um, our listeners, could you tell them a little bit about your background and exactly what Nerdles are and just a little bit about your work with Nerdles to get us started? Sure. Well, um, so I'm the director of the Mission Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve, which is actually a research and education program at the University of Texas Marine Science Institute. And so we're located in Port Aransas, Texas, and uh, we do a number of different um, citizen science projects. Uh, One of them happens to be uh, Nurdle Patrol. And so we started up Nurdle Patrol back in 2018 when there was a spill of plastic pellets that uh, were showing up on the beach. And uh, we quickly found out that the um, that the state agencies didn't have the resources to either clean it up or to monitor it to see how far it had spread or how long it would be on our beaches. So we started up asking volunteers to um, work with us to go out and just sample for 10 minutes uh, when, when they're at the beach. And so by doing that, uh, you know, you get a concentration of pellets that you find within 10 minute period. And then we put it on a map that's color coded based on that concentration. And so you can sort of see Uh, Well, there's a number of things you can see with it, but one of the things is where the higher concentrations are, you can kind of guess that that might be where the source is coming from. And so if you have enough data points, it can really show you kind of a a big picture. And uh, so uh, once we got that going up in 2018, we immediately had different organizations throughout the Gulf of Mexico that wanted to get involved. And I mean, in every state in in the U.S. along the Gulf of Mexico, so that's all five states, even down into Mexico. So we had a university in Veracruz and then a nonprofit down in the Yucatan Peninsula. And so this was within a couple of weeks after starting. And so we had the entire Gulf of Mexico uh, covered. And so really that's what kicked us off. And uh, we've just been expanding and getting bigger uh, since then. That's amazing. And first of all, so I think I might have mentioned on the call when we chatted earlier, but I grew up in Mexico along the Gulf and my mom lived there for 23 years, 23 years. So we'll touch on this later, but we might have a school down there that could hopefully help too, because there's an area on the map around along the coast of Tamaulipas where we didn't see there was any collection yet, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I get excited. Um, can you tell Because I'm sure not everyone listening knows what a nurdle is. <laughs> so can you explain <laughs> what's a nurdle? Why? Well, how, where the name came from, why they're bad and, and why we need to be collecting and monitoring nurdles. 
Sure. So uh, nurdles are actually small plastic pellets and they're uh, the size of lentils. So they're these little bitty, and actually I have a little jar of them. I have about 400 of them that could fit in this little jar, wow. which is only about you know an inch and a half tall, a little bitty thing. But that's how small they are. And these are the basis for everything plastic. So the computers were on, the people's glasses that they wear, uh, the dashboards and cars, you know, anything made of plastic is first this little plastic pellet. And um, this is the amazing thing about these pellets is that these are the raw material. They've never even made it to their final destination of being melted down, added color and made into a product. So they're getting out before that even happens. And uh, the reason for that is because they're small, they're lightweight, the wind can carry them. If they get on the ground and it rains, it gets into the stormwater, eventually into our rivers, bays, and then out into the ocean. Uh, but the biggest impact is really to wildlife, uh, fish and wildlife. So, you know, you can imagine once these things get into the waterways and then they're pushed back up on river banks or lake shorelines or, or on the beaches, they're available to birds to eat on. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're in the water, they're available to fish to eat and to sea turtles. And so there's been a number of studies that have been done uh, over the last 30 years that have looked at the different species of uh, birds, fish, and sea turtles that have eaten these. And so the Environmental Protection Agency came out with a report back in 1992 called uh, Plastic Pellets in the Aquatic Environment, Sources and Recommendations. And in that report, they list over 80 species of birds that they knew about at the time that were eating these. Uh, And um, there's been some stuff done on the Gulf of Mexico here looking at uh, dead sea turtles and necropsies where they cut them open. And they found that over 7% of the four different species of sea turtles that they necropsied had pellets in their belly. Mm. And then also for fish. And the the real um, kind of thing that we worry about or the concerns we have are that once these pellets are in the environment, they absorb harmful chemicals Mm -hmm. and like DDT, PCBs, PAHs, you know, all these things you hear about that are, that you don't want on your skin. You definitely don't want to eat these things. Mm -hmm. Well, when fish eat these, we definitely don't want those contaminants then being released from the pellets, getting through the stomach lining of the fish and into the muscle tissue that then we eat. And so that link has not been made yet. Uh, But with the technologies that we have and some of the research going on around the country, it's probably just a matter of years before we do know that answer. Have y'all, are you finding that some of the birds and fish are dying from eating so many pellets? Yeah, so there's been documentation on that for years. Um, uh, And actually in that report I talked to you about the uh, Environmental Protection Agency report for 1992, you can uh, open it up and around page is somewhere in the 30s. You open it up and there's a black and white photo in there of the intestinal tract of a shorebird. And it has about 10 pellets in there. Mm. And so uh, there's a couple of impacts. One is uh, they can feed on these things. They think they're full. There is no nutritional value to them. So then they can starve to death. Uh, The other thing is if they eat enough of these, uh, it can entangle their intestinal tract. And then they just can't eat anything and they end up dying. Uh, And then the chemicals, we know that the chemicals um, that absorb into these plastics and when released, Uh, They can have behavioral changes. Uh, Same with even just eating them. Uh, Leave out the chemicals. They can still have behavioral changes from eating these plastics. Hmm. And so uh, whenever behavior changes, that changes uh, how they interact with uh, opposite sex and then reproduction. 
So there's a whole chain reaction uh, that can happen. And all this is documented. Myrtle Patrol um, doesn't do any uh, studies on animals as of yet. Uh, there's other institutions that have done that and are doing that right now that we're um, talking with. Uh, but this is all stuff that, that they've come up with. And so we always get um, from the media ask us, you know, where are you getting all your information from? And um, so we ended up putting together a literature cited list of peer reviewed publications that we get all of our information from. So we're not going to, you know, GQ magazine or something like that to, <laughs> to figure out what, how plastics are impacting us, right? No, we're going to uh, scientific publications. And so on the University of Texas Marine Science Institute homepage, there's something called highlights there. And those are just news stories about research and programs that we're doing. Well, if you click on that highlights link, uh, it'll take you through and you can see one of the uh, um, uh, little highlights there is the literature cited about plastics impacting not only humans, but animals, um, the ecology, uh, things like that. And so uh, that's a good resource for people if they want to know more about, you know, how plastics are impacting the environment. Awesome. I'll definitely link that in the show notes for our listeners. Mariana and I were talking about this before we vis started visiting with you. I I have been, actually, I went to a Nurdle factory down in Tampico. This is why we want to recruit people <laughs> from Tampico because that's where they're being produced. So, yeah. BASF has a big factory down there. Yeah. So I went to a Nurdle factory probably about 15 years ago down there. And it's like, oh, so this is how plastic uh, is, you know, first sourced. And then you start, you know, we try to get plastic out of our lives, but we don't even have to get the plastic in our hands and there's plastic pollution. It's just insidious how plastic is reaching into so many aspects of our lives, isn't it? Right. Well, I mean, it's uh, really low cost and there are some really good uses uh, for plastic, but then there's also some really bad ones. Um, so grocery bags that we just use mm -hmm. for 15 minutes to be able to get our groceries in the house, um, you know, straws or water bottles, you mm -hmm. know, in the U.S., 99.9% .9 of the water is safe to drink out of the tap yeah. of your water hose. It's like, why are we putting it into these plastic bottles, uh, drinking it down and then 15 seconds later throwing it away? It makes no sense whatsoever. No sense. No sense. Don't even get us started on the water <laughs> bottle. Uh, Jace, if you get my mom on the water bottle soapbox, she doesn't come off of it. So I, we I won't get her started. Before COVID, I, I had gatherings at my house often. And so many times people say, oh, well, I'll bring bottles of water. And I, my response is always, I have glasses. <laughs> yeah. I don't, and I have running water. I, you don't, don't do that. <laughs> but anyway, we're not, that's not why we're here. No, back to Myrtle's. <laughs> Can you tell us what it's like to go out and look for nurdles and collect them? And I know in the bonus material, you're going to show our uh, pa patrons all about, you know, the kit that you give to organizations. But let's just say someone's out collecting nurdles. Can they collect them without one of your kits? And what is that process like? Sure. I mean, so that's the beauty of this program, actually, is that it costs zero dollars. So people that are already going down to the river or they're going down to the beach, they can go out and they can do their survey uh, without any materials whatsoever. And so they can go, they can use their hand to pick up pellets from the high tide line. And once they find their first nurdle, they start their clock for 10 minutes. And then once the 10 minutes is over, they count up how many nurdles they have, the location they're at, the date they were there. And then they go to nurdlepatrol.org 
to put their information in. And then once they put their information into the reporting sheet, their data automatically shows up on a map. And so they can click on the map and it's like a Google Earth type platform where they can zoom in to where they were at or they can zoom all the way out to show the entire world. So, you know, anyone in the world can put data into this thing. But then there's this feature that allows them to print. And so they can print it digitally or hard copy. <clears throat> and, and what's important about this is that, that it's, it's really, you know, you go out, you do your survey and, and you put your information in there and you kind of wonder, you know, what will this ever be used for? Well, this is the beauty of it is that a, an individual or an organization can go in to their community. They can print up the problem of plastic pellets in their community and they can immediately that day take it and email it off to their elected official or their state agency and say, look, we got a problem here. We think we know where, where uh, the problem's coming from. They can uh, do a complaint to their state agency that's supposed to be regulating these entities. You know, there's all different kinds of things can people can do immediately after they put their data into this reporting system. That's amazing. And I'm glad that you made the point to say anyone can do this. You don't need a special kit or special equipment. Just go out with, you know, a little your hands. <laughs> you don't even need anything more than that. So that's and it's amazing that you guys have created the platform to make it so easy for people to send you their data and send you, you know, the information that they've collected. So thanks thanks for doing that. And while you were talking, uh, it made me think of another question that we were kind of you know, toying around with before we chatted, which was, let's say the goal is, and I know you have, I want to talk about your overall, you know, legislation changing goal throughout this, but let's just say the goal is to remove 100% of the nurdles on the planet of the earth. Are there any larger scale technologies that are being developed in order to be able to do that? Or is it really more of a manual process at this point? There, you know, the plastics industry, they have vacuum trucks. So mm. when there's a big spill, they can come in, they can suck all that up. They have backpack, um, you know, like the blowers you have at your house. They yeah. have those mm. like that are vacuums. Oh. So they can go in and clean up spills. So the technology's there. There are a few different companies that have come up with uh, vacuum trailers or um, different ways to be able to suck up and separate out. Because that's the thing is you think about where all these pellets come ashore there's natural debris that these are in too. So you want to be able to separate all that stuff out mm -hmm. or you want to definitely separate out all the sand or rocks that you pick up too. And so they're developing uh, these different technologies. It's all vacuum related um, to where it separates out the plastic pellets from the natural stuff. Nice. And so there, nice. there's three companies I know about that have contacted me and asked me, you know, how they can use it. Uh, is there any place that I know about in the U S um, there, there is one company that's in the U.S. Uh, the others are uh, other parts of the world. Nice. So in theory, if you find a hotspot and you identify the source, could there be public pressure or you know legislative pressure to make those plastic manufacturing companies do regular cleanups with these technologies? Yeah, I've actually had um, organization, uh, industry folks uh, take me out to lunch and say, hey, we want to be a part of Nurdle Patrol and we'd be willing to fund a cleanup effort nice. on a large scale, not just getting, you know, 100 volunteers together, but but hiring consultants to come in with the proper equipment and just cleaning the beach, uh, big sections of it. Whenever we get a report of there being really high concentrations of pellets coming in and uh 
then COVID hit and, and they never called me back. Yeah. But, but uh, I have had different discussions with them still, but you know, the oil and gas industry has really been hit uh, yeah. hard by uh, like, like everybody has. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so what was the other question? Cause I had something good. I was oh, say. Just, so I know when we chatted on the phone, I asked, and, and this is on your website, you know, one of your main goals is to be able to use this data to, go to Congress and ask for changes in legislation and make, you know, standards stricter for these companies. So can you chat a little bit about that? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Okay. So, um, uh, in every state except for California, you know, the states are the ones that regulate the plastics, the plastic industry, um, manufacturings and not only just the manufacturers, but in many cases, anyone who handles the pellets. So there's also transportation mm. uh, industry. There's also the people that are just gathering the nurdles up to package them up and distribute them. So there's distributors. And then there's the actual factory that takes the pellets to melt them down and make an actual product. So mm -hmm. there's, there's all, all throughout the supply chain. Uh, there's a way for these to get out. Um, but only California has uh, in their permit specifically about plastics getting out to the environment. So calling for zero plastics getting out to the environment. Um, so in Texas, for example, uh, the permits for these facilities say that they are, they are allowed a trace amount of suspended solids. So it never even mentions plastic and mm -hmm. it says that they are allowed uh, suspended solids. Part of the problem is plastic pellets are not considered hazardous material. Mm. So that needs to change at the federal level. Now at the state level, we need to get states um, that are the, the agencies that are regulating these companies to change those per, that permit language to say zero plastic pellet flakes and powders are allowed to be released from the into the environment because that allows regulators like inspectors to go in do their inspection. If they find any plastic pellets at all, there's a fine associated with it. And then there's mitigation that they can go through and say, you need to put up filters or you need to make storage uh, ponds or, you know, there's a lot of best management practices out there uh, that can be put into place. And so as it is right now, the company can say, oh, that's just a trace amount. Mm -hmm. And uh, so to give you an example of what a company might say about a trace amount, in Texas, you probably heard of the Formosa Plastics uh, lawsuit mm -hmm. that Diane Wilson uh, had had uh, sued. So in that case, Formosa Plastics uh, said that a trace amount of plastic pellets to them is 10,000 pellets per day per outfall. Oh, they have 12 outfalls. So they said 120,000 pellets per day is a trace amount to them. Now, luckily, the judge said, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not, that's not good enough. Oh, uh, but that just, that's just an example that I'm giving the, of real world of what a trace amount could be. And that's why the laws need to be changed to say zero plastic pellet. Interesting. I was looking at your website and there was a couple of things I noticed I wanted to ask you about. One of, one of the questions is uh, whenever you're looking at the map, most all the sightings are along the uh, Gulf of Mexico, except in Dallas, there's an out, outcropping in Dallas. And I was like, huh, what, what, how did that happen? So could you, could you explain why there's a hot, there's a hot spot in Dallas? 
Yeah, and it's actually an interesting story because, you know, we were getting these Nurdle Patrol startup kits that we were putting together from a grant mm-hmm. we had gotten from the Formosa settlement. Mm-hmm. And we were sending these out to different organizations and this organization um, called the Inland Coalition, Inland Ocean Coalition, got a hold of me and said, we're up in Dallas and, you know, we know we're not at the coast, but we'd still like to be involved. Can we get a Nurdle kit? And I thought about it and uh, um, I said, well, let's get on a, a Zoom call and let's talk about, you know, what you'd actually be doing. Because in these kits, you know, they're sampling jars. And so if somebody's not going to be sampling, you know, maybe we could modify the kit. So we got on a Zoom call and opened up Google Earth and zoomed in. And it turns out there's plastic manufacturing companies all over the place in, in Dallas. And so we decided, well, why don't you go out and try to sample at least one spot? And if you find some, then, you know, we'll send you a kit. Sure enough, the first place they went, they found a lot of plastic pellets uh, right outside the, the facility that made plastic pellets. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And since then, uh, they've actually gone into the tributary that uh, the stormwater goes into mm-hmm. from that facility. They've gone down to the lake that that tributary actually drains into. They found plastic pellets all the way along the way. And now they've actually gone to other facilities and they're finding plastic pellets around every one they're sampling by. Mm, interesting. And so, you know, this doesn't have to just be a coastal thing. Um, you don't just have to live by a river or something like that. I mean, this is, this is widespread. And so you think about railroad tracks and it being a spider web across the United States um, you could you could expect to find uh, plastic pellets along all those uh, railways. There's been over a hundred surveys that have been done along railways, and we we ask uh, you know volunteers don't go on railways because it's uh, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people are doing it, and uh, we've got a lot of data showing that there it's it's bad. There's plastic pellets along all the railways. So these things are spilling out all along the way, either in transit or when the rail car is coming back to the facility. Interesting. Okay. The other item that I saw on your website that I f- found interesting is that, you know, you have the uh, a timeline about uh, nurdles being found and whatever. And there was a huge spike what in August of this year. Huge right. spike. And why? Well, so all the plastic uh, surveys that have come in have been, uh, you know, people going out and looking for plastic pellets and then um, doing their 10 minute surveys in all, in early August, there was a spill. So there was a container uh, ship in the Mississippi river off of new Orleans that spilled myrtles. Mm. And I mean, it was like uh, 25 tons. It was a lot oh, of myrtles. They were finding bags of them, but um, that's why you see this spike is that, um, you know, people would send in data of finding 500,000 pellets in, in 20 minutes. What? And so I emailed them and said, you know, is this accurate? And they said, oh yeah. And they sent pictures and the pictures were the, the shoreline or the, the riverbank was just solid nurdles and they were picking them up with their, by the handful and putting them in buckets. And then they, they would estimate, yeah. you know, based on weight of uh, how many pellets there were but i mean that's why you see those spikes and it's it's only there was probably you know two or three days where there was those massive numbers because what then the river comes and starts taking a bunch of it away but initially i mean it was just thick and so a lot of that you know we would expect to start seeing 
out the Mississippi River. So uh, depending on which way the current's going, it could end up in uh, on the Mississippi shoreline or even uh, down in Texas. And so oh, we'll probably, if we haven't already seen some of those, we probably will soon. Oh, it just kind of takes my breath away. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, on a slightly different note, but still talking about nurdles, obviously, uh, we have uh, quite a few listeners um, and people in our community on Instagram that live in the UK. And we were reading that the great nurdle hunt is was started in the UK, from what we read. Um, are y'all affiliated with them at all? Is your work part of this global nurdle hunt? Is, there, is it all under one umbrella in some sense? So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, FIDRA is the nonprofit out of Scotland that runs the Great Nurdle Hunt, and they do great work. They, I think that their uh, program has been going since about 2013, okay. and I actually had a lot of conversations uh, with them prior to starting uh, the Nurdle Patrol up because I wanted to make sure it wasn't a duplication of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I talked with our researchers at the university, and um, there's a couple of key differences between the Great Nurdle Hunt and then, and then our program. And so the great nurdle hunt actually takes all of our data and incorporates it. Oh, into nice. theirs. Uh, we cannot do that with the data that they have. And that's uh, for a couple of different reasons. One is the methodology. And so our methodology is stricter Okay. because we wanted our data to be used for two primary reasons, uh, future research and uh, in litigation. And so uh, all of our data is standardized to a 10 minute for one person Mm -hmm. uh, that's collecting. Now, you know, people can go out in a group of 100 people and put all their data in together, but our program automatically uh, splits it up. And in that way, when you look at the map and the colored dots, Mm -hmm. all those colored dots are for one person for 10 minutes and the concentration they collected. That way you can compare anywhere in the world, one site to another. So with the Great Nurdle Hunt, you can uh, and you you can only use your hand with ours. And so with the Great Nurdle Hunt, uh, they don't do specific uh, numbers. It's more it's a range. Uh, you can use um, any kind of tool you want to go out because remember theirs is more for uh, awareness and advocacy. Okay. And so um, I mean, and they do a really good job of that. They have uh, annually they do a, a, a global Nurdle Hunt. Uh, within a week period. And we always uh, take part in that. And we ask that our volunteers submit data, not only to Nurdle Patrol, but also the Great Nurdle Hunt, because um, they've got key partners all across the globe uh, trying to change policy and laws that way. So it's a really good partnership. And you'll see on our solutions page that we have a section dedicated to the Great Nurdle Hunt. Nice. Well, I'm glad that y'all are collaborating. We love, we, we always say the more the merrier and the more people can collaborate, the better. So that's awesome. Um, okay. Well, before mom always asks her one question to all of our guests, but before we pass it on to mom to start wrapping it up, Jace, how can people help get in touch, learn more? What are, what are the call to action for our listeners and how they can get involved? I'd say the best thing for them to do is to go to nurdlepatrol.org and we've created all the tools necessary for them to be able to learn how to do a survey, uh, what to do once you get your plastic pellets and how to enter your data. And then uh, on the solutions page, uh, we have in there about uh, the call to action. 
and uh, really working with the state agencies on changing, um, changing policy. And so we currently in Texas have a Texas Nurdle bill that we're pushing forward through this next legislative session. And so if somebody wants a copy of that, uh, because they want to do the similar type thing in their state, you know, this is a template for them. So they can just email me and I'll send them a copy of that. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, y'all, you heard that. Nerdlepatrol.org, and I'll obviously link it all in the show notes. And go to the solutions page and do something about nurdles. This is so awesome and exciting. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. And on your website, I was watching your video on how to collect the nurdles. It's so easy. Yeah. It is so easy. You know, people are going to the beach already. Why not spend 10 minutes and, uh, you know, get something accomplished while you're there? <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, in fact, I've been wanting to go see the cranes down in your neck of the woods uh, one winter. And I now I'm like, oh, I want to go see the cranes and I want to collect nurdles. I want to look for nurdles <laughs> and pick them up and get rid of them. <laughs> I have very exciting goals in life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one last question. Uh, how many people do you have regularly in the Nurdle Patrol and how many people are helping you? So uh, currently we have over 2,300 volunteers that have sent data in nice. and we're just over 6,900 surveys that have been completed around the country. That's awesome. And, um, you know, the more data you have, the more you can see where the problem is and the, the probably the better um, chance you have of making changes. And so that's what we try to tell people is like, you know what, you might just be going out there for doing one survey, but it really can make a difference because that might be a place that we don't have any information. Yeah. And it shows a bigger picture of what's going on. Interesting. Awesome. awesome. Okay. Now we're down to the final question. <laughs> the question. <laughs> what do you think is the most important thing each person can do to help reverse global warming and help climate change? Well, I think we really got to use, uh, you got to look at your lifestyle and you got to have a, a, a thinking, start thinking differently about the things that you're using. And mm -hmm. uh, so I know at my house, and this sounds crazy, probably because I am a little crazy, mm -hmm. but um, uh, we, instead of using napkins, uh, we use cloth napkins. Uh, we do too, Jay. We have we have <laughs> towels, and so we do. We might do more laundry, but you know we don't have that waste stream. Mm -hmm. uh, even for say our trash cans, we have a an old pillowcase that is the liner for the trash cans, oh. and so then we just you know dump it out uh, and reuse it or wash it if it needs to be washed. Um, you know the easy things are when you go to the grocery store. You know you re use a reusable bag. Um, a straw. You don't need those straws. Uh, um, you know, the water bottles is a big thing. That, that, that one is huge. Get a reusable water bottle. Mm -hmm. You know, those are some of the simple things that we can do at home that, um, you know, will lessen the demand for plastic, which uh, the petrochemical industry is uh, a big contributor to some of the issues we're seeing with climate change and things like that. So, you know, anything we can do to lessen uh, the demand for those products, uh, the better. I love that. Perfect. We were actually just talking about that the other day, that we want people to really, you know, know and believe that there is no 
change that is too small because you multiply that by the billions of people that we have on the planet and then you get some real change. So I love that answer that it just, you know, it starts with your everyday decisions and the way you choose to, you know, live your life and consume as well. So Thanks, Chase. Okay. And our pocketbooks can say a lot. I know that whenever I go to the grocery store, I've started seeing potatoes wrapped in plastic. Are you kidding me? Why does a potato, one potato, each potato is wrapped in plastic? Do you think I'm going to buy that? No. Heck no. 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 Go potato free that week. <laughs> well, Anyway, anyway just, we digress. Yes, I did. Okay, I'll well, be we're quiet. excited to move on to the bonus material and see, get an inside scoop and and peek into your nerdle kit. So we're gonna for for those of you who are members of Patreon, head over there for the bonus, and for those of you who aren't, then sign up. But anyways, Jace, thank you so much for this time. This was amazing. I've learned so much about nerdles. I'm now a nerdle enthusiast, and I'm sure that our listeners feel the same way. So thanks for sharing your time with us. A nerdle collection enthusiast. Yes, nerdle collection <laughs> enthusiast. <laughs> well, thank you all very much.